The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the organization or group they represent. Hi, and welcome to our shortcast. I'm your host, Howard Drew Karsh. I've been a successful agent in Canada's largest market, Toronto, for over 30 years. And in the latter part of my career, I co-founded Canada's largest independent brokerage, Right at Home Realty, with a roster of over 5,800 agents and growing. In 2020, I retired to start this podcast, and it's been a remarkable opportunity to meet highly successful and fascinating guests in real estate and related fields to find out about their careers and get their insight into our business. Today's guest is a repeat guest for us on our shortcast. It's Ted Siakopoulos. And because his title is so important, I'm not going to mess it up. Ted is the Senior Economist Specialist, Housing Markets Policy at the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, most people know as CMHC. Um, We had Ted on before, and today's uh, visit, again with Ted, is because there's so much discussion around interest rates, impact of interest rates, um, whether it's from journalists, people in real estate, mortgage people. But I, I and, and the other people here at, at uh, RealCast felt it was good to have an economist on, and Ted was kind enough to join us. So, Ted, welcome back. Thank you, Howard. It's, uh, it's great to be back. So, uh, in the effort of keeping our shortcast to a shortcast, I did, I did write some questions down. Is it okay if I start with that? Sure. Okay. Sure. So, yeah. when we spoke last time uh, about the, uh, actu- why actual inflation and inflation expectations are so important to not only the cost of living, uh, but the direction of interest rates. Um, we know that rates are moving higher, and we know, we know, and we know why. Well, what do higher interest rates mean for those with existing mortgages and new buyers looking to jump into the market? Yeah, you know, and this is the, the real million-dollar question. Uh, you know, we know that those with existing mortgages uh, – you know, have bought some insurance. Uh, just over 50% of, uh, you know, new mortgages issued in, in, in recent years were were fixed rate mortgages. And about two thirds uh, of those were carrying a five-year term. So, so clearly these folks know what their mortgage payments will look like even in the midst of rising interest rates. So there isn't much stress here uh, until possibly renewal time for those uh, existing mortgage holders who are holding fixed rate mortgages. Uh, alternatively, I, I would say that the real risk is for those you know carrying um, a variable rate mortgage. And uh, as you know, uh, a variable rate mortgages are tied to the prime rate. And we know the prime rate moves up when the Bank of Canada starts to increase interest rates, which is the environment we're in right now. Uh, and so, you know, households holding variable rate mortgages, um, you know, is there a big risk of default here? Um, and I would say probably not a big risk, you know, likely because a lot of these mortgages, whether we're talking about fixed rate mortgages or variable rate mortgages, a lot of these mortgages, uh, Howard, have been stress tested. And so what does that mean? It means that uh, you weren't only qualified on the mortgage rate on your contract and what you were approved for, but banks went a step further and said, okay, well, we could be moving into an interest rate, uh, an increased interest rate environment. So we want to ensure that when rates go up one point or two percentage points, you're still able to make those payments. And so uh, the good news here is, is that 
you know, uh, mortgage holders generally have been stress tested. So, you know, where is the risk? Uh, where, the, 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 you know, as long as the economy continues to grow, as long as we continue to generate jobs, uh, and, you know, that is what the, or the consensus forecast is, you know, albeit slower growth, uh, as long as we're still growing, as long as uh, jobs are being created and the unemployment rate, which is critical, remains low, I think default should should remain low. Um, and we know, based on history, Howard, that households will do whatever it takes to pay their mortgage. They, they, they want to ensure they have a roof over their head. So uh, more often than not, they're more likely to become delinquent on credit card and personal loans before defaulting on their mortgage. So so, so that's that's certainly that's certainly good news. Uh, the real concern um, here is for first-time buyers, people looking to get into this market, uh, and it's becoming increasingly difficult for first-time buyers, even uh, with the bank of mom and dad uh, support. Okay, uh, and so we've done some modeling in the past, uh, Howard, and what we found was that for every one percentage point increase in mortgage rates. Uh, existing home sales, uh, which is a proxy for demand, drops by about 5% across the country. Uh, 5% seems to make sense even in the Ontario region. But I, 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 I would say in recent years, because households have become more indebted and more vulnerable, I think that number is probably closer to 8%. So for every 1% hike in rates, you're going to see an 8% drop in existing home sales. So you multiply that by two, we're looking at about a 16% drop um, in, in, in mortgage rates. So, um, you know, the first time buyers are going to feel this effect. Um, I would say that if you're thinking about buying a home, um, you know, clearly medium to longer term, there is some good news here. We do expect uh, housing markets to be better supplied, more choice in the market, and prices probably growing at a much slower rate than what we've seen uh, over the pandemic. Um, and, and so, you know, you know, just to sum up here, I, I truly believe that you know, uh, rising interest rates uh, don't carry uh, zero risk or low risk. Uh, I, I think we really need to monitor what rising interest rates mean for the broader economy. Um, because we know that purchasing power starts to decline, not only when rates go up, but also when inflation is growing at, you know, five, six, seven percent. Um, and, and we know that for every dollar that households earn, you know, I would say about um, 60 to 70 cents goes to pay down that mortgage. So as rates go up, that number continues to grow. And that means there's less money left over to buy other goods and services, to take a vacation, you know, to, to go out for dinner. Uh, so eventually the broader economy is going to feel this effect. And, and so, so that's what economists call sort of a negative income effect. You know, the, the weight of not just rising inflation and the cost of living, but also now a double whammy with interest rates moving up. It, it, it suggests that there's less money left over for a consumption of other goods and services. What a great explanation. You know, when, when, when I was selling, one of the things that we sort of understood was um, when first-time buyers are unable to enter the market, it affects everything because the homeowner ready to move up doesn't have a market there for him. So I don't know how that plays into the statistics, but I don't think it, it has changed because 
first-time buyers have to be there to move everything. And the other thing, if I was um, if I was a first-time buyer and listening to you, it becomes the same roll of the dice, doesn't it? Fixed mortgage, variable mortgage, and there's no no one can see the future, right? So, what do you think people will be doing when they see this this kind of slow to medium growth in in uh, interest rate uh, incline? Do you think people will yeah. go variable because they're afraid to lock in? Actually, the reverse. What history has shown, Howard, is that when the uh, the gap between fixed and variable rate mortgages begins to narrow, i.e. variable rate mortgages catch up to fixed rate mortgages, people actually begin to consider locking in, right? They don't want to stay in a variable rate product because they're exposed, because that rate floats with you know the general... Uh, increase in in the Bank of Canada interest rate. So what we found historically is, yeah, I mean, you start to see people choosing to lock in. And so just to throw some numbers at you, over the last year or two, uh, of all the mortgages that were issued, we saw that uh, variable rate mortgage uh, attractiveness, you know, in terms of market share, it went from about a third, uh, Howard, 33% of all new mortgage originations were variable rate mortgages to almost 50%. Mm. So I suspect we're going to see that number come off over the next six to 12 months as people try to buy more insurance, try to kind of protect themselves in a rising interest rate environment. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I, the thing is that, that nobody can see the future, right? I mean, you you do have the benefit of historical data um, and you are an economist. So it's, you know, it's better than asking your uncle uh, <laughs> what he thinks. But, um, but this... You know what drives what drives real estate? Consumer confidence has always been a big factor. Interest rates, everybody knows that drives real estate. So you know, having you come on to kind of help people understand a bit about well, more than a bit to understand how is this going to affect them as a homeowner or as a first time buyer? It's great. Well, let me move on to my second question because this one's really interesting for me. The stock market and the real estate market are, are moving in similar direction. Um, What's the common theme for that? Yeah, really interesting question. Um, there is no doubt in anyone's mind, or there shouldn't be any doubt today, that given all of the fiscal and monetary policy stimulus that we've seen to dig us out of the COVID-19 challenges, that we, we, we've built up some froth, not just in the housing market, but also in the stock market. So, um, you know, uh, and some of that froth, we have to give some of that back. And that's and that's what we're seeing in the stock market. In fact, the stock market right now is in a bear market. Okay, we've seen uh, declines of, of 20% or more uh, across some, some exchanges. For housing, the jury is still out on whether uh, we're in or we're going into a, a bear market uh, or what we call sometimes a housing price bust. Uh, a cycle. Uh, it really currently, Howard, looks more like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a more milder correction than what we're seeing in the stock market. But we cannot rule out something more uh, severe, especially if central banks are unable to orchestrate what we call you know, the infamous soft landing, a soft landing in inflation uh, and a soft landing in growth. If we get a hard landing in growth, i.e., a recession, then all bets are off that 
you know, we're, we're going to see a mild correction in house prices. We could very well be setting us up for something more severe. Um, but, you know, what both a, a drop in stock prices and real, real estate prices do, Howard, is they create a negative wealth effect. So we talked about a negative income effect uh, in, in the previous question. Now we get this negative wealth effect. So what is this? What, what does this mean? It's a bit different. Because, you know, what it is, is is if you're a household and you own uh, stocks or mutual funds in your portfolio, but you also own real estate, either as an end user or as an investor, then when those prices, those asset prices start to drop, you as a household feel less wealthy. And so if you feel less wealthy, you're going to be less inclined to go out on a vacation, uh, buy a new car, go out for dinner. Um, you know, that's where the negative wealth effect comes in. And uh, research has shown that for every $1 drop in house prices here in Ontario and in Canada more generally, you get about a five cent hit to consumption. Okay, so for every dollar decline in average house prices, consumption drops by about five cents. Now, if you multiply that dollar by a million, okay, or not a million, let's say hundreds of thousands, uh, dollars, let's say prices drop by a hundred thousand or fifty thousand, you know, it starts to add up in terms of consumption. Consumption is really going to feel the effect of this, this sort of negative wealth effect that we that, uh, that, that, that I've introduced here. So, so hopefully that, that kind of gives you a clear picture of, um, you know, what is the common theme between the stock market and housing and, and potentially what could happen. That's a great explanation. I think most people, you know, if you're just reading headlines, what you've read is interest rates are going up, but no explanation of how could that affect me, you know, as a, as a consumer, as a homeowner, um, as a business person. So, okay, th this was one more question. If we had time and we do, I wanted to ask you, uh, there are not many forecasters calling for a persistent and sharp drop in home prices, but what could trigger such an, such an outcome? Yeah, so so you know another million dollar question for sure. Well, if you look at all the forecasts out there right now, uh, on average, uh, most forecasters, including ourselves, uh, are assuming a soft landing in home prices. So we're assuming that uh, you know there will be a floor, and that we, you know we won't see a, a 20, 30, 40 percent drop in house prices. It'll be a milder drop, you know. Um, now, the average annual price may not drop because we've entered 2022 so strongly, but from peak to trough, we could see, you know, uh, I think the average is uh, people are calling for about a 10 to 15% drop. Now, again, that's not average annual drop. It's just a peak to a trough. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, you know, there is a risk that we could see a, a, a more severe correction. And historically, uh, if we go back in time, back as far as the 1960s, 60% of the time when we've seen a more severe drop in house prices, what were the triggers? Well, a recession was clearly a big trigger, okay? A second was something you alluded to earlier, Howard, a drop in consumer confidence, another trigger, okay? And high levels of overvaluation in the housing market. And boy, People hear overvaluation and it sounds like a technical term, but what this means is, is housing prices being well above the fair market value of where they should be, of where fundamentals suggest 
prices should be. So those are the those have been the three big triggers. Okay, uh, and a fourth one was that we also saw some policy uh, changes um, over time. So whether it was you know a policy change that reduced investor activity, you know, back in the 1970s, you may recall. Um, uh, Toronto City Mayor, his name escapes me, and it shouldn't. He came out, uh, and the federal government sort of came out and, and and increased the capital gains inclusion rate on investing, okay, from fifty to seventy five percent. Well, that had a real effect, right? Mm-hmm. So, so those are really the four big triggers that I'm keeping my eye on. Um, and you know, the, the last time we saw the perfect storm, Howard. A lot of people sort of point to the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s in Toronto, where we saw most of these triggers kind of uh, in play. Uh, but, you know, mid to, 19, mid to late 1970s, we also saw all of these triggers present. And, you know, that was a time when we were talking about stagflation, high inflation, slow growth. Sound familiar? Yeah. So we, we, we you know, we can't, we can't sort of, discount this as a potential scenario. It's not the baseline, but it, it, it is a, a potential risk. Um, uh, and so, you know, this is why central banks are trying to navigate the economy closer to a low inflation and low growth kind of, you know, environment. It's critical that they get there. But, you know, as I say, this is a very delicate balance mm-hmm. and, and a potential risk. So, yeah. Well, Ted, you know, it's it's always a pleasure having you come on and explain things from a sophisticated and not a guess, which I think, I mean, I, is it a guess? It's a guess based on historical data versus, versus asking your uncle. I mean, that's kind of the way I look at this. <laughs> so we're going to we're gonna have you back again, as we do periodically, to, you know, to give us some more insights into housing and the economy. And I want to thank you for coming in today to, to share uh, your, your expertise with us. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Great. Thank you. And uh, great to be here. And we'll talk to you soon, Howard. Thank you, Ted. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. We'd like to thank Ted Siakopoulos and you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed our shortcast, please like, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcast network or on our YouTube channel. And if you'd like to reach us, you can reach us either by email at info at rewithhd.com or on our website, re with hd.com. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.